Every summer at uh, Murray Hills, we do a series called At the Movies, and we take popular films and use them to set up discussion of spiritual themes. And I usually try to start the message with the trailer. So here's this week's film. I got these two great tennis players. All we need is a club. Everything to go from prodigy to pro. Raise your hand, Serena. Venus Williams. What you think? Nobody's taking that bet. Tennis takes expert instruction. It takes families with unlimited financial resources. It's like asking somebody to believe that you got the next two Mozarts in your house. Venus and Serena gonna shake up this world. Throw it to the sky. Yeah, that's it. There you go. They're not going to win for them like this. Not with you and me on those raggedy courts. We just got to stick to the plan. We got champions in the other room. You taller them us? Richard, I'm impressed. I think you might just have the next Michael Jordan. Oh, no, brother man. I got me the next two. And can't nobody knock it. Let me ask you about something. What do you want out of this? I know what your dad wants, but what about you? Well, I want to win Wimbledon as many times as anyone's ever won it. You think you can do that? Every American player got good following this path. And we're going to do this a different way. You pulled him out of juniors. Now you pull him out of practice. You do it constantly. I'm trying to look out for my kids. You're looking out for yourself. This is their life. You've got to let them decide. Venus Williams. What you want? Let's show all of those people that I can handle what's coming. It feels so good to be alive. It feels so, so, so good. You are a champion. And the whole world knows it. She's playing the best player on the planet. She can't beat her. But what if she do? Remember who you are, remember where you came from. I have never been more proud in my whole life. You gonna show them how dangerous you are? Let me see your dangerous face. That's your dangerous face? Make some dangerous noises. There you go, that's your dangerous face. That's, okay, don't do that for the people. All right, how many of you saw this one? I mean, okay, you need to watch this one. I know that you don't always watch the movies that I preach on. That's fine. This is the best movie of the series. So uh, it's, it's a great film. It's, it's one of those that you feel good at the end. And that's, I love movies like that. Like you, you walk away from it feeling inspired. Everybody's literally cheering at the end. Uh, and it's the true story. It's not the story of Venus and Serena. It's the story of their father, Richard Williams. And I did have one question. It's a great film. I felt good at the end. But all throughout the movie, I kept asking one question internally in my mind. Was Richard Williams a good father or a bad father? Because it's a, it's a complex story. Like, there's all of this good in it. I mean, he's a, he loves his family. He loves his daughters. He's very passionate about them. He works hard to protect them. He protects them from coaches. He protects them from the media. 
Um, he pushes them. He gives them opportunities that they would have never had without him. He pulls them out of juniors when everybody says that's not what you do, but he saw some kids going down the wrong path, and he wanted to make sure his kids didn't go around the wrong path, wanted them to get an education and family first before professional success. But at the same time, sometimes he pushes them too hard. And there's parts where he seems a little overbearing. And the ego is just a little too big. And there's a question throughout the film of, is this their dream or is this his dream? Because he wrote a 78-page manifesto before they were born of how they were going to be professional athletes. And that was not a prophecy. He, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy because they practiced five or six hours a day sometimes in the rain and whatever conditions. Uh, he bust in school children to hurl insults at them in Compton. That's not in the movie. But if you Google Richard Williams' story... It's a complicated story. One of his other children took a great offense at the movie because she says her daddy was no king because he neglected his relationship with that daughter to the relationships of these daughters. And so I kept asking myself watching this film, like, is Richard Williams, is, is he good or is he bad? Is he, is he a good man or is he a bad man? Now, before I watched the film, I watched Will Smith win an Academy Award for portraying Richard Williams in this. Academy Award for the best actor, and he deserved it. This is his best role by far. And then before I watched Will Smith receive the Academy Award, I watched him slap the fire out of a man for making fun of his wife. And I was watching it live. I don't know if you guys were watching it live, but we were watching the Academy Awards live. And when that happened, and if, for those of you that don't know, Chris Rock, a comedian, surely you know, do I have to explain this? But Chris Rock, a comedian, made fun of his wife who has a disease that causes her hair to fall out. I didn't know that while I was watching the show. But he made a joke about it, called her G.I. Jane. And at first, Will Smith is laughing about it. And then the next thing you know, he's walking up on stage and he's, and he's slapping him. And as that happens, I'm asking in my mind, is Will Smith a, a good man or a bad man? Because all I know of him are the movies. And in the movies, he's lighthearted and he's fun and he's, and he's smiling all the time. But now here he up, he's physically a softened a man. And there's part of it like, there's part of it that I liked. There was part of it like, you know what? If you insult a man's wife, then that's what you should expect. You insult a man's wife, he's going to defend her honor and you're going to get punched in the mouth. But then at the same time, it's like, how does that align with the teaching of Jesus? And you can't just physically assault everybody that insults you, right? You know, is that protection or is that retaliation? And we were watching it, you know, as this unfolds, you know, like I, we, as it, he goes up there and hits him, it's like, what, whoa, what just happened? Did you see? And we rewind it because you can rewind live TV now, however that works. We rewind it and we watch it again. And we rewind it and we watch it again. And we rewind to watch his reaction. I go to Twitter to find out what everybody else is saying about it. I watch it in slow-mo. It seems real. So is Will Smith, is he a good man or is he a bad man? And then I watched his acceptance speech. And I think his acceptance speech was, was fascinating. Because how many of us, after we do something stupid, how many of us have to stand up on live TV and talk about it? None of it, right? You know, like we usually got a long recovery time after we do something stupid. But Will Smith, right after the commercial break, won the Academy Award for this movie. And he had to stand up and say something in his acceptance speech. And what's he going to say about it? And I want to show you this clip 
because it really sets it up way better than the movie. I'm going to talk more about his acceptance speech than I am about the movie. I want to show you the whole acceptance speech because what you'll see is a man uncomfortably trying to reconcile his values with his behavior. He's trying to reconcile his actions didn't align with his values in that moment. His values, he says in here, is like love. He wants to be an ambassador of love, but ambassadors of love don't hit people usually. So it's like, I want you to watch it. It's, it's uncomfortable, and I, it, I tried to edit it for length, and I just couldn't do it. So I'm, I'm going to show you the whole five minutes of his acceptance speech if you didn't see it. Here's Will Smith, and you remember what happened. He just assaulted a man on live TV right before he got the award, and here's the speech. Richard Williams um, was a fierce defender of his family. In this time in my life, in this moment, I am overwhelmed by what God is calling on me to do and be in this world. Making this film, I got to protect Ingenue Ellis, who was one of the most, the strongest, most delicate people I've ever met. I got to protect Sanaya and Demi, the two actresses that played Venus and Serena. I'm being called on in my life to love people and to protect people and to be a river to my people. And I know to do what we do, you got to be able to take abuse, you got to be able to have people talk crazy about you. In this business, you got to be able to have people disrespecting you. And you got to smile and you got to pretend like that's okay. But Richard Williams, and what I loved, thank you, D. Denzel said to me a few minutes ago, he said, at your highest moment, be careful, that's when the devil comes for you. It's like, I want to be a vessel for love. I want to say thank you to Venus and Serena. I just spit. I hope they didn't see that on TV. Um, I want to say thank you to Venus and Serena and the entire Williams family for entrusting me with your story. That's what I want to do. I want to be an ambassador of that kind of love and care and concern. Um, 
I want to apologize to the Academy. I want to apologize to my, all my fellow nominees. Um, this is a beautiful moment, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not crying for winning an award. It's not, it's not about winning an award for me. It's about being able to shine light on all of the people, Tim and, and Trevor and Zach and Sanaya and Demi and Ingenue and the entire cast and crew of King Richard and Venus and Serena, the, the entire Williams family. Um, Art imitates life. I look like the crazy father, just like they said. <laughs> I look like crazy father, just like they said about Richard Williams. Um, but love will make you do crazy things. Um, to my mother, um, a lot of this moment is really complicated for me, but uh, to, to my mother, um, she didn't want to come out. She was, had her knitting friends. She has a knitting crew that she's in Philly watching, <laughs> watching with. Um, um, being able to love and care for my mother and my family, my wife. Um, I'm taking up too much time. Uh, thank you for this honor. Thank you for this moment, and thank you on behalf of Richard and, and Orsine, the entire Williams family. Um, thank you. Uh, uh, Hoping Academy invites me back. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> they will not invite him back, actually, uh, for the next 10 years. Uh, he got kicked out of the Academy. But if you watch that clip, it's so, like, you don't, don't know how to respond and people in the audience didn't know whether to clap or or boo for him. and and he said he said he states his values very clearly his stated values are love care and concern those are the stated values but have you ever been in a situation when your actions didn't align with your values when your behavior didn't line up with your belief system if people would ask you what your beliefs are, you would say, this is what matters the most to me. This is what I care about the most. But then your behaviors didn't align with that. And I just kept watching that clip, and I've seen it two or three different times, and it's just, it, I mean, it's, I get, it's even more awkward and uncomfortable the more times you watch it, and you just feel, and it, there's so many kind of conflicting emotions there, and the question, you know, like, is, is he a good man or is he a bad man? I did a funeral, um, a couple of funerals, actually, a couple weeks ago, and I met with the families. And when I was meeting with the families, both families were, did something refreshing. Because a lot of times in funerals, you know, you only hear the good stories from the families. But both of those families kind of told me some good stories, and they told me some bad stories. And they said, you know, our, our fathers were complicated men. You know, there were, there were some good parts of the story, and there were some bad parts of the story. And we think it's important that you hear all of those parts of the story. And, and as I was listening to them talk, I kept thinking, like, you know, when my kids sit... And, and they're sitting with the preacher to, to come up with my eulogy, what parts of my story will they tell? And will they, you know, will they tell the good parts of the story? Will they tell the bad parts of the story? Or will they tell both parts of the story? Because there's some good parts to my story. 
And, and there's some bad parts to the story. And there's some parts that I would love to be in the movie. If they ever make a movie about my life, I hope they include those. They won't. But, you know, here's a guy that preached. Uh, but if, if they ever made a movie about my life, I would hope that they would include those parts in, in my story. But then there's some other parts that I would never, ever want them to see. I would hope that they would forget. And so it kind of, I wrestle with the same thing. You know, it's not just Richard Williams or, or Will Smith. Is, is Russ, am I a good father? or a bad father? You know, am I a good man or a bad man? And the answer to the question is yes. That's the answer to the question. The, is Richard Williams a good father or a bad father? Yes. Is Will Smith a good man or a bad man? Yes. Is, am I a good man or a bad man? Yes. That's the answer to the question. There's good and bad living in all of us. It's never as simple as he's all good or he's all bad or she's all good or she's all bad. We like to make it that simple, but it's never that simple. We are a complex mix of good and bad. And the Bible actually teaches we have both of those things living in us. It calls it a sinful nature and the spirit of God. So we have a sinful nature living in us and we have the spirit of God living in us. And the Bible actually says not only do those two things live in us, they are actually at war within us. They are fighting for control of our choices. When somebody insults our wife, those two things are fighting to say, are you going to hit that man or are you going to turn the other cheek? Those two things are constantly fighting for control of our choices. Here's the way Paul put it in Galatians. I want to show you uh, from the New Living Translation. Paul says, I advise you to live according to your new life in the Holy Spirit and then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves the old sinful nature loves to do evil, which is just the opposite from what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite from what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting with each other, and your choices are never free from this conflict. And that's a powerful, powerful sentence right there. We, we have two... We have good and bad living within each of us, but they are constantly fighting. Our choices are never free from the conflict. I wish I could tell you that that was different. I wish I could tell you, like, well, as soon as you become a Christian, you don't have to worry about those temptations anymore. As soon as you, as soon as you give your life over to Christ, you don't really have to worry about whether or not you're going to do good or whether you're going to do bad. You know, you, you, that's constantly going to be a battle. There, there will constantly be choices that come up throughout our entire lives. It doesn't go away with age. It doesn't go away with maturity. It, does, it just never goes away. We're constantly, those two things are fighting for control in our lives. And we're never free from the conflict. And you can see it playing out in the acceptance speech. You can see it playing out in Richard Williams' story. You can see it playing out in every single one of our stories. Because sometimes the good is there and you see it and, and, you're, and you're inspired by it. And sometimes the bad is there and you're disappointed and like, why did I do that? And what happened? And you're apologizing in areas that you really hoped you didn't have to apologize in. But none of us are ever so good as to have no bad in us. And none of us are ever so bad as to have no good in us. It's not that simple. These two forces exist in our lives. And each of this, each of them has consequences. And that's what he says next here. He tells you the consequences. So Paul says, if you yield your choices to the bad or the sinful nature, here's the consequences. And he gives a list. He said, you follow the desires of your sinful nature, your lives will produce these evil results. Sexual immorality immorality, impure thoughts, um, eagerness for lustful pleasure, idolatry, participation in, in demonic activities, but pay particular attention to these last few here. When you yield to the sinful nature, hostility, 
quarreling, jealousy, outburst of anger, selfish ambition, divisions, the feeling that everyone is wrong except for those in your own little group, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other kinds of sin. That's the consequences. And he's just given examples. That's not an exhaustive list, obviously, right? He's just given examples. Like when you yield to the sinful nature, these are, these are some of the results that, that produced. And he says, but when the Holy Spirit controls our lives, he will produce this kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So when we yield our choices to the bad, it produces bad results. We yield our choices to the good, it produces good results. But it is a constant battle. If you go back to some of the stuff Paul wrote in uh, Romans chapter 7, I want you to, like, I think you watched this play out on, on live TV, but listen, listen to this, Romans chapter 7 right here. You're familiar with this passage, but again, it's out of the New Living Translation. puts it in just a little bit different language. Paul says, I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. And instead, I do the very thing I hate. And I know perfectly well that what I'm doing is wrong, but I can't help myself. I know that I'm rotten through and through as far as my old sinful nature is concerned. And no matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. And when I want to do good, I don't. And when I try to do wrong, I do it anyway. This, this is the guy who wrote two-thirds of our New Testament. This is his confession. This, this is the guy who is more responsible for the spread of Christianity in the history of mankind other than Jesus himself. The Apostle Paul is more responsible for the spread of Christianity. And this is his confession. And if you read Romans chapter 7, this was kind of interesting because Scott and I, I, I messed up and somehow we had the wrong translation in there. And so Scott had to type in all of the verses right before uh, services started. And so I was reading the passage and he was typing them in. And when, you re- when you're doing that, I was saying them to him and he's typing them in. I was like, this guy sounds awful. I mean, that's what we're sitting there thinking. Like, goodness, who, who wrote this stuff? This guy sounds terrible. Because this is his confession. And when you read Romans chapter 7, or if you read the book of Acts, and you're being honest, one of your questions would be, is Paul a good Christian or a bad Christian? I mean, is Paul a good man or a bad man? Because, I mean, this is the guy who explained love better than any person who has ever explained love. 1 Corinthians 13, the apostle of love. I mean, goodness. And he can't even do it? I mean, this guy explained humility and grace and faith better than anybody. And here he is saying, I can't get it. I can't get it right. I don't know how to do this. And he explains why. If you keep reading Romans uh, 7, he explains. He says, I love God's law. Uh, It's God's law is what it should say there. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another law at work within me that is at war with my mind. And this law wins the fight. And it makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? And that ought to be a question mark. We didn't get it all right when we typed in, right? But, I, I mean, this, Paul is, is saying exactly what he said in Galatians. And he wrote Galatians before he wrote Romans. But he's, he's kind of making the same point here that 
you know, there are two laws at work within me, and I love God's law, but there's a law of sin at work within me, and sometimes that law of sin wins, and he says it makes me miserable. It's not an excuse. Some people read Romans chapter 7, and Paul says, when I do bad, it's not me that does it, it's the sin within me that does it, and some people use that as an excuse. Like, well, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I hit him, but I'm a man, I'm, I'm human, you know, what, what do you expect? That's just, that just happened, that's just part of life. No. It's not an excuse. So Paul's not excusing sin. Paul is trying to explain sin, and he's trying to explain how miserable it makes him. That it makes him miserable when his actions don't align with his values. When his behavior doesn't align with his belief, it makes him a miserable person. It makes all of us miserable people when that happens. When we can't control the outburst of anger, or we can't control the envy, we can't control the jealousy, we can't control you know, how much we drink or whatever it is, it makes us all miserable when that happens. And Paul's kind of describing that. And he asked the question at the end, who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin? And I think you know the answer, right? The very next verse, you know the answer. The answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. So what Paul says here is that there is this good and evil fighting within us. But guess what? They are not playing on equal footing. Yes, there's a war going on. And yes, there are choices that are subjected to the good and evil. But it's not that evil has the same footing as good. There's a war going on, but God has already declared a winner. And so he says the answer is Jesus Christ. And through Jesus Christ, if you skip on down, um, well, no, you just, it's the very next verse and then, uh, in chapter 8, he says there's no condemnation. So now, he says the answer is Jesus Christ. And now, there's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. For the power of the life-giving Spirit has freed you through Christ Jesus from the power of sin that leads to death. And you jump down to verse 11, and he explains it. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. And just as he raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal body by the same spirit living within you. So, and there's the conclusion. Like, so what, what, what Paul says is that, you know, the spirit of God lives in you. And the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead is alive in you. He's talking about future resurrection, but then he makes a conclusion here. So, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation whatsoever to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you keep on following it, you will perish. But if through the power of the Holy Spirit you turn from it in your evil deeds, you will live. Now that's equally as powerful. That earlier stuff he wrote in Galatians about this, you know, this constant battle going on and your choices are never free from that battle. And then he's declaring here that through Jesus Christ, you have a spirit living in you that has the power to defeat evil. And you do not, you do not under obligate, you do not have to say, well, I'm just a sinful person and I just, that's the way sinful people react. And what can I say? You know, I'm just human. You don't have to react that way. You actually can choose a different way because the spirit of God is living in you and the spirit of God has the power over sin and death. And he again describes a consequence. You know, if you keep following your evil desires, uh, you, you'll end up losing stuff. You'll lose relationships, you might lose jobs, you might lose physical health, you might lose mental health. You know, I mean, you'll lose stuff. But if you follow in the way of the Spirit, you'll live. This is the way to the Spirit. And so here's the truth. Um, I'm not a good father or a bad father. I'm a saved father. And it's only through the grace of God that I'm able to do good things. And I'm not a good man or a bad man. 
I'm a saved man. And it's, it's only through the Spirit that I'm able to make good choices sometimes. But sometimes I don't follow the Spirit. All of us are neither good nor bad, except most of us in this room are saved. And it's only because of what Jesus is doing in our lives that we're able to make the right decisions and follow the right path. And, and there's no condemnation in that. So strangely enough, that's what I got out of King Richard. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful um, for stories. I'm thankful for good storytelling. And I'm thankful that um, when the whole story is told, because a lot of times we have the tendency to only pull out the good parts and only talk about the good parts. But when we only talk about the good parts, we deceive ourselves and trick ourselves into thinking that we don't measure up or that it's, when you see the whole part of someone's story and we realize that we're all in the same boat and we all make the same mistakes and we all yield to the same impulses, but we know that as followers of you that you've saved us from those things and not just saved us from eternal life, but saved us from having to make poor choices. And, and saved us from having to yield to, to our impulses or to yield to our desires or to yield to, to sin. You've saved us from that. And so, Father, I pray that you help us to live as saved people. Help us to make good choices. Help us to, to, to follow the right ways. Help us to, to do the right things in our relationships, knowing that when we don't do those things, we can repent, and, and there's grace, and there's forgiveness but, Father, just help us to stay on the right path. Help us to, to be uh, good fathers and mothers and help us to be um, good husbands and wives and help us to be good people just, just that, are, that are trying our best to, to yield to the Spirit. And uh, we do know it's a daily battle, so help us to constantly surrender to that Spirit that's at work within us. Just pray that you help us to do that, Father. And it's in the name of your Son, Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. If you are encouraged by today's talk, feel free to share it with your friends. Please also consider rating and subscribing on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more, please visit us online at murrayhills.com.